Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another edition to The Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well on this beautiful Friday. We're in mid-September, and we still have 20-plus degree days. Sun's out. And, uh, you know, we head into another weekend here where we got baseballs in full swing. We got college, uh, college football. We got the NFL Week 2, which kicked off last night. Um, the NHL training camps are opening next week. So headlines galore, lots of things to talk about. And today, um, this is kind of the, the itinerary of the day. We're going to go through last night's crazy Thursday night football game where you look on paper, you say New York versus the Washington football team. Seems pretty dull. Did not turn out to be dull whatsoever. Really entertaining game. I'm going to go over injuries throughout the NFL this week. Uh, what to look out for this weekend, some college football games that really are catching my eye. And we're going to dive deep into, you know, Major League Baseball. There's still a couple interesting races. There there are some snoozers as we get to end of September here. You know, the National League Central, AL Central. Um, it, they're locked up, but with AL wildcard, the NL West, the NL wildcard. So we still have some interesting things down the stretch here. And some a big series is this weekend featuring the likes of the Blue Jays, the Dodgers, Giants, and we'll go through it all. So it's going to be a great show today. Lots to talk about. And I got to start with football. And like I said, you start off last night, and Thursday night football is kind of a hit or miss. And for me, I'm always going to watch the game because that's just me. But it's true. I, ben Murray mentioned it the other night in the podcast. It's always AFC South, you know, Houston versus Jacksonville or, you know, the NFC East, you know, uh, Cowboys versus Eagles. And it's kind of a snoozer. But last night went a first half pretty much snoozer because there's two huge injuries that took a lot of time and a lot of commercials. I was just like, when's this game going to end? And then I look up and I'm completely captivated. I forget it's one o'clock in the morning and I have to be up in three hours. So it's last night was a game of cat and mouse where we saw Daniel Jones, the quarterback for the New York football giants play the best game of his career. In my opinion, now I think last night, you'd uh, Jason Garrett, who took a lot of lumps in, um, in Dallas for being, you know, eight and eight coach clap. He had a great game plan last night, but you also saw Daniel Jones run the offense and do it his way. And to be quite frank, the New York football giants deserved to win that game last night. But in football, you don't always get what you, what you deserve. I believe the Cleveland Browns deserved to win the game last Sunday, yet they didn't. And just picking up in the third quarter, it was Daniel Jones like you've never seen him. Him and the offense with the run-pass option and the New York Giants with their front four, and I think it's as good as anybody in, in, in football with Montez Sweat and Jonathan Allen, who was a beast last night, the Ch- Chase Young and De'Aaron Payne, they, they weren't that great. There was four sacks, one by Kendall Fuller, who had a pretty strong game on the back end. But Daniel, when Daniel Jones kept the ball, the New York Giants were biting every time. The man on the edge, whether it was Chase Young or Jonathan Allen on the other side or the linebacker in the middle, they were always leaning the other way, which gave huge chunks of yardage for Daniel Jones to pick up. 
And what did he do? He saw the openings and he took off. One point he ran, he ran for a touchdown in the third quarter. It got called back or late in the second quarter. Sorry. It got called back on a hold. That was not a hold. That was a phantom hold on Cameron board. I don't know. I don't know why that was called. Ended up leading only to a field goal when it should have been a touchdown on the play. But, you know, Daniel Jones, he ran nine times for 95 yards. That's a 10 yard average. He had a great night. And he goes 22 for 32, 249, a touchdown. And the key thing here, no turnovers. Daniel Jones is the turnover king. He has the most turnovers by any player in the NFL over the last three seasons. He fumbles the ball like he gets paid to do it. But last night was a game where you say, okay, this is why Dave Gettleman picked him out of Duke. This is why you want Daniel Jones as your QB1. However, football is a team sport. And last night, it was sloppy on both sides. Both teams had over 85 yards in penalties. You're not winning anything. The only, the only way you're beating teams with that amount of yardage is you're playing your division opponents. But looking at week one, I believe the Cowboys are better than the, than the Washington football team and the New York football giants as we speak. Now, the Cowboys could easily go 0-2, and we'll get to them later in this podcast, and be the same with the Giants. But just looking at the structure of their team, I have more confidence in that group than I do the New York football giants. But Daniel's a great night for him. Uh, Darius Slayton, I I love Darius Slayton. Great receiver for for the Giants. So Jones having a great night. And there's no Ryan Fitzpatrick on the other side. It's Taylor Heineke making his third career start. And Heineke, I'll say this about him. He's got stones. He's a big game. He's a big play maker where you need him to come up with a drive at a certain time. He will do it. He, he just did it last night where it, he found Terry McLaurin when he needed to, he made, he threw guys open. Um, and using his tailbacks, JD McKissick, Antonio Gibson, And then he has the ability to scramble when he needs to. But Heineke, his defense through the first two weeks haven't been that great. Third down, they are bottom five in the NFL. Just on getting third down stops. And you're playing the Giants last night. They were converting regularly. But we go into the fourth quarter last night. And Heineke goes on a drive. From the 12-30 mark to 8-46 in, in the fourth quarter. Three first down completions, all to Terry McLaurin. Again, Terry McLaurin, third round pick a few years back out of Ohio State University. He is a clutch. He's a great receiver. He reminds me in today's game of Keenan Allen. He's not a burner. He's not going to run 80 yards down the field, make a catch. But what he will do is he's such an efficient route runner. James Bradbury is a pro bowl corner. He was last year. He He looked like he was on roller skates last night trying to cover Terry McLaurin. This wasn't a burner, him just, you know, running circles around him. McLaurin was just beating him with his savvy on the field. And he did it all night. There were times they had to double him late. Logan Thomas became open. And what they do, it became, you got lanes available for your tailbacks like J.D. McKissick 
on their on their final drive. But it ends in a touch. It results in a field goal. They're down 23-20. Um, then there's the play for Daniel Jones that really – Baker Mayfield, you could point to last week, he, he has to throw that ball out of bounds. You still have a chance to win the game. Late in that fourth quarter, Daniel Jones, who I think is playing a fantastic game. I still think it's the best game of his career. He has Darius Slayton wide open. Blown coverage, middle of the field. He airs one out, but he overthrew him by probably half a yard. And it's only half a yard. I get it. But what was the result of the game? A one-point game. You get a touchdown in that play? Curtains. Curtains. And he misses him by that much. You end up getting a 55-yard field goal, Graham Gano. Five for five last night is made 36 in a row. That's what you want on your out of your field goal kicker. But then we go two plays, 75 yards. First play, we go uh, Heineke, just a little curling, uh, curling go route from JD McKissick, the tailback, 50 yards down the sideline inside the 20. And then you got a 19 yard pass to Ricky Seals Jones, the backup tight end, just a toe tap back of the end zone on a, on a fade. He just, what a catch that he got his feet inbounds, his only target of the game, and it's a, it's a touchdown, formerly of the Cleveland Browns. Great for him. So they are up by a point. Then Giants go three and out. Don't gain a yard on the drive. And they, one thing I didn't like about this drive is they threw the ball three consecutive times. Daniel Jones should have ran RPOs. Give him the ball. Give him the option because Barkley wasn't working. I'll get to Barkley in a minute. But give it the option to keep because they were biting the whole night. Three incompletions. I didn't like any really of, of the past plays. Kenny Galladay had a bucket of chicken before the game last night because he was dropping balls left and right. And you go three and up. So I say 313 to play. Washington gets two first downs here because Giants did have all three timeouts, but you get a couple first downs, pass two-minute warning. It's, it's the game. Run first, run play, give Antonio Gibson four yards, timeout. Okay? Next play. I Again, I don't root for teams, but I do have to react when I see stupidity. And Washington throws the ball on second down after getting four yards. Now, in the NFL... You want to run the ball so that you chew clock. And then the opposing team, this is not, again, it might sound patronizing here. I don't mean to be. I'm just what we're all thinking last night, right? So the other team has to use their timeouts. What does Washington decide to do? No, let's not do that. They throw a pass. Heineke, dead on the eyes of Logan Thomas, looking at him. Like me to you on the screen. I'm not darting my eyes over here thinking, am I going to throw there? Am I going to throw over here? But dead center on him. Intercepted by James Bradbury. Made up for all the crap plays he made earlier in the game. So now, 216 to play. Giants have the ball inside the Washington 25. So now I'm like, well, 
Gano is a lock. He's going to make a kick from here. They just need a couple first downs. It's ball game. Washington did have three timeouts. But they get the two-minute warning. They use two timeouts. And what happens? Two false start penalties on the Giants. And they end up having to kick a 55-yard field goal, which was a huge risk. But they make it work. So it's under two minutes. It's the two-minute warning. Giants are up by two points. Washington has a drive and one timeout to see if they can win this game. And to their credit, they go down the field. Goes to Logan Thomas. He finds De'Ami Brown on a curl. Throws throws one up the pike to uh, Terry McLaurin. Going to his backs. And they get in field goal range. And this was the night. We get to Dustin Hopkins. It's four seconds left. He's either going to make the field goal to win it. Misses. The Giants will win by two points. 48-yard field goal goes up. He misses to the right. It looks like the New York football Giants have one on the road. They are one and one. However, on that play, Dexter Lawrence jumps offside for the New York Giants. Meaning, they'll move up five yards, and he gets to re-kick. So now it's a 43-yard field goal for Dustin Hopkins. He was just the GOAT, and now he has the opportunity to become the uppercase GOAT, not the lowercase. And 43-yard field goal, sneaks through the wickets, and Washington defeats the New York football Giants 30-29. to <sighs> Yeah. Neither I said the Giants third to win because I think Daniel Jones is the better quarterback. I've never seen him play better. I thought Jason Garrett was pretty good. That one drive I hated. But the penalties. Joe Judge was a special teams coach in New England. And the special teams cost them the game. You can boil down the whole game. And yes, there's a lot of things happen in the game. But when it comes down to crunch time, what happened? Hopkins missed the kick. However, you give him a second chance. If you don't jump offside, you win the game. You are a special teams coordinator at heart. That's what you did. To become a head coach, to get in this position, you coach special teams. So you'd think special teams might be a strength. You know, maybe Cleveland last week, okay, yeah, Kevin Stavansky was an OC. Jamie Gillian screwed up on special teams. Okay. I mean, it's still no excuse for it. But his specialties offense, so Baker played like junk, and they had a bad offensive scheme. Then, yeah, let's torch him. Matt LaFleur in, in, uh, in Green Bay. Yeah, you deserve some heat. Your offense looked like hot garbage. But Joe Judge, the special teams coordinator for the New England Patriots, won a Super Bowl as special teams coordinator. You jump offside on the only special teams play that matters the whole game. Because... 
after this play, when you miss the field goal, the whole rest of the game does not matter. It doesn't. In hockey, you can outplay a team for 60 minutes. But you go into overtime, you turn the puck over, and, and he beats the goalie. It doesn't matter if you shoot them 60 to 20. It doesn't. Because you lost the game, period. And normally, like, well, it's a moral victory for the Giants. They played really well. No. Because I have zero faith in the Giants that they will get better from this. Daniel Jones, I love seeing him last night. But this isn't overreaction for me. I loved his game last night. Do I have any faith, any, that next week he will go out there and play just as good or better? I have zero. Zero. Because he is 4-23 in in his career against teams that are not Washington. 4-23. Prior to last night, he had four of his eight wins in his career against the Washington football team. Half. He never lost to them. So what does that tell me? He's very good against the Washington football team, which he was last night. Clearly, he knows their defense. Against the rest of the NFL, he's Tim Tebow-ish. Now, looking ahead to their schedule, they got the Atlanta Falcons. That'll be a highly watched game next week. But, oy vey. And Dexter Lawrence was a first-round pick. And you can't play one play does not define a career, even though for some it does. Bill Buckner, uh, you know, uh, you can look over history and you can look at one play and be like, that's what we remember this guy for. What, what do you remember Mark Sanchez for, Jets fans? The butt fumble. What do you remember Vesta Toscola for? The goal that went in from 50 feet down the, you know, Deshaun Jackson. He returned a punt. With no, uh, I returned a punt for a touchdown with zero time on the clock to beat the Giants walk off on Thanksgiving. That's what I remember D Jack for. What about Nick Foles? The Philly special. There are certain moments, maybe Dexter Lawrence will turn this around, but so far in his career, he's known most for jumping off sides and costing his team the game. Point blank. And I'm not saying you have to cut him, but I consider it because you cost us the game. We made mistakes along the way, but you look at it. We didn't turn the ball over. Our defense was, eh, it's okay. But we forced three, three and outs, two straight in the first quarter. We, we, we were plus one in the turnover battle. We got an interception. Why didn't we win that game? And you get, you can watch all the tape in the world. But when you get to the end of that tape, you see the play and you see the guy jump. And Joe Judge comes from the Bill Belichick tree. Bill Belichick has cut a player for much less. And I don't want Dexter Lawrence to get cut. But I'm just saying, in the next week and change, if you see Dexter Lawrence cut, you know why. Because he jumped off sides. And what a game. You know, there have been four standalone, I'm trying to think, primetime games. There was last Thursday, Bucks versus 
Cowboys. Pretty fantastic game. Then you had Saints. Uh, so you had Rams versus the um, Bears. That was a snoozer. Raiders, Ravens, standalone game. Fantastic Monday night. And then this one, three of the first standalone primetime games of the year have been fantastic. Fantastic. And just harping on this game more. I don't, if, the, if I'm the New York Giants, and this was only his second game back from a torn ACL, but before he tore his ACL last year, Saquon Barkley just didn't do it for me. He's a back that will break one off for 90 yards on one carry. And in the rest game, he'll have 10 carries for nine yards. He doesn't have, he's not a volume running back. And he's not, he doesn't look as explosive as he used to be. It was a bad injury. But with all that being said, if I'm the New York football giants, I am not re-signing Saquon Barkley. He was a second overall pick. And it's always a risk to draft a running back that high. Would, if they could redo it, would the Cowboys draft Ezekiel Elliott at four? Maybe you'd say yes, because in their rookie year, he was fantastic. He almost ran for 2,000 yards. He's been a good back. But over history, Leonard Fournette at number four to Jacksonville. I guarantee you they're not doing that again. Running backs going up high is a cautionary tale. Because the run, running back is the easiest position to plug and play when you get to the NFL. You don't need to learn the offense. Defenses have to catch up. It's a faster moving. We saw Micah Parsons, who will likely be the best player in last year's draft. For the Cowboys last Thursday, he was all over the place. He didn't know what the hell was going on. It takes more time. Running backs, it's just, you know, there's a hole. You need to learn the route combinations, but it's easier to plug and play. The Baltimore Ravens have been doing it for years. J.K. Dobbins, Tashawn uh, Williams looked good the other night for them on Monday night. And it, it would be tough. And this is what they'll, we'll have to see the rest of the year. There's 15 games to play. But Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley could realis realistically both be off this roster next season. Sam Darnold lasted three years for the Jets. And they moved on. And... I, I just, uh, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think, um, I, I, I just don't like the, the Giants. And you'd also see Joe Judge gone as well. But looking at the game last night with Heineke, the Washington defense has not impressed me. Chase Young's had a very lackluster start to the season. I'm very high on him. But to me, this division is still very much wide open. I think talent-wise, the Dallas Cowboys are the best team because you have Dak, who's by far the best quarterback in the division. Um, I think he's a top 10 to 12 quarterback in the NFL. You have Amari Cooper, who is a top 10 receiver in the NFL. You have uh, C.D. Lamb, who's still improving, but he's got all the talent in the world. Michael Gallup is, is a great number three. Jarwin Schultz, your offensive line when healthy is great. Um, and your defense leaves something to be desired. But again, the other teams have flaws. But even looking ahead, this weekend, the Dallas Cowboys head to Los Angeles to play the Chargers. And boy, did they have a rough week. 
it was great at first because you played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the defending Super Bowl champs, and you lost by a, a game-winning field goal. It was a moral victory of all moral victories. People were parading in the streets. But now, a few days after the loss, Lyle Collins suspended five games for violating the drug policy in the NFL. Tough blow. Then Michael Gallup hurts his, uh, hurts his calf. He's out at least three weeks. Okay, well, you got still got two receivers. You should be okay. Cedric Wilson's also a good uh, depth guy in your roster. But then they lose Demarcus Lawrence, their leading sack guy the last three years, and Randy Gregory, their other top pass rusher, for this week. Um, Lawrence broke his foot. He's out four to eight weeks. Gregory's undetermined, but he's out this week as well. So you're going to be oh, you're going to be without your top two pass rushers this week at the Chargers, who have a great offensive line to begin with. They signed Corey Lindsley in the offseason to play center. They drafted Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern, who just ate Chase Young alive last week. So Justin Herbert can have a clean day in the pocket and just sling the ball around to Keenan Allen, Jarris Guyton, Jared, uh, Jared Cook, and it could be a long day for that Cowboys defense. So after a great week of positivity, they are down so many regulars. And you look at the Eagles, they won their week. They're the only team that won in week one from this division. And they got their first test this week. They're playing San Francisco. They beat Atlanta, but beating Atlanta is like a walkover. And to me, uh, me and uh, Ben talked about the most compelling games uh, of the week. And I think, uh, you know, I think Panthers and Saints is really compelling to me because I like, I want to see how Jameis plays. I want to see if Sam Darnold can continue to, to improve week over week. Um, Saints are without a lot of uh, their coaches who have tested positive for COVID. So there's always that interest. I think the aforementioned Cowboys game, but Eagles San Francisco is quickly for me becoming a very a game I'm going to watch on Sunday because number one, Jalen Hurts is still very unproven. We don't know what he is, but how can he play against a San Francisco defense that's very good? They have two of the best defensive players in all of the NFL, middle linebacker and Fred Warner, and obviously defensive end Nick Bosa, who can blow up any defense. So how does he do that? How does the Philly offensive line that when healthy is fantastic? Jason Kelsey at center, potential Hall of Famer. Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks on that line. Um, Malatata, who uh, they just signed to a big contract, who's six foot eight, 365 pounds. Uh, they, they have a great line. They got Goddard. They got Jalen Rager. They got my boy, Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner. So can they go toe-to-toe with that San Francisco defense who did lose Jason Verrett to a torn ACL, one of their corners this week? They lost Raheem Mostert to a season-ending knee injury. So they're a little wounded, but they're used to injuries. It's next man up in San Francisco. But a big win against an NFC West opponent would do a lot for the confidence of, of this team. And um, I think it's, it'll be an interesting game to see how Nick Sirianni and that Eagles offense adapts to a much tougher opponent. Atlanta's not a tough opponent. They're an 11.5-point 11, 11 underdog against Tampa Bay this week. It's one thing to be an underdog. It's another thing to just be that big of an underdog against a team. Um, and, you know, it, it's, uh, it's quite the 
it's quite the narrative here, but um, I'm interested in that, in that game. Um, also this week, you know, uh, I look at Monday night with, with the, with Aaron Rodgers. that'll be interesting. Uh, but I'll leave that for Monday. We'll talk about that on, on Monday, who, what's really the big story there, but in week two, I think Cleveland bounce back. Rams Colts is an interesting game to see how the offensive line of the Colts can hold up after week one. They really struggled and Wentz did not have a lot of time with the ball. He took some hits. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, the bills heading to Miami after the way Josh Allen played in week one and how they only put up six points in the entire second half. I want to see how they go to Miami. They're in the heat, uh, you know, obviously on the road and you don't want, Start the season 0-2 for the Bills would be a disaster. Big opportunity for the Dolphins. Start off 2-0 with two division wins. Uh, that, that would be huge for, for their confidence. Give them a little bit of a cushion. You got uh, Tua, who continues to start. And we'll see. Uh, it was announced today that Will Fuller, who did not play in week one because he was suspended for PED use from last season, will not play this week as well with a... Uh, due to a personal issue. So he'll be out this week. And so that's interesting. Another interesting thing for me, and I mentioned this Monday is the Cleveland Browns are playing Houston this week. And I think they'll win that game easily, even though Houston took care of Jacksonville week one, but the Browns, I love the Browns team as is, and they were without Odell Beckham jr. And he's practicing, practice yesterday, practicing today but they've already announced he's not playing this week and he's coming off a torn ACL again, a serious injury, but I'm wondering why he's not playing. And is there something more here? Is there a trade potentially happening? I, for the better, I think the Cleveland Browns are better off without Odell Beckham Jr. I think Baker Mayfield Jr. The third is a good quarterback. Potentially be great but he needs to spread the ball around, not have a diva who needs the ball every second time it's thrown. Spread it around to Austin Hooper, to Jarvis Landry, to Donovan's Peoples-Jones, to your tailbacks. And Odell takes up a lot of the oxygen in the room. You know, I think a big reason why Cam Newton is unsigned is because he's such a personality. He can't help it. And I respect the hell, I respect Odell for that as well, because Odell is Odell. And I love people who are themselves. That's me. You know, I can only, I can only be me. And, um, you know, I, I pop off and I maybe say some crazy things on here and I need a haircut, but whatever, that, that's me. And he's himself, but his personality is so polarizing and, and big that Baker is so drawn in that he feels like he has to throw in the ball. He his first read is okay. Hoops open for a six yard pickup on first, first down, but Odell's in double coverage. I think he's a 50, 50 ball. He can come up with that. Then it's a pick or an incompletion. And then you're behind the, behind the sticks play smart. I just, I haven't seen it in his career where Odell can be a great team player. Odell is a great individualist. And a fantastic talent. But I don't know if he can be a great teammate all around. And that would concern me for Baker Mayfield and the Browns. I need 
that team just to be a well-oiled machine. And I haven't seen it yet. So I'm interested to see what's going on there. Cause I think there's more to the story than what people are saying than just, Oh, well, we're trying to get him back and maybe he'll be back week three, but we'll see. Um, we'll see as we move on here uh, as we head into week two and a slate of games on Sunday. Major League Baseball has been interesting, to say the least, in, in the last couple of weeks. A couple of weeks ago, I, we saw the Toronto Blue Jays come back from a huge deficit against Oakland on a Friday night, and they rallied to win that game in extra innings. And since then, they've gone 12-2 and in the month of September, beating the Tampa Bay Rays, the top team in the AL East, two out of three times this week, Robbie Ray, is likely the Cy Young winner in the American League. I don't think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will win MVP, but he's right there. Bo Bichette has risen to 93 RBIs. Loris Gurriel Jr. has become a clutch hitter for this team. Uh, if you cut out his first six weeks of the season, he, he's got a, a 900 OPS, batting over 300. This lineup is as deep as it gets. You know, a, a Springer, who's injured but still really effective, then you go to, to Vladdy, Bichette, Marcus Simeon. Uh, I mentioned Guriel, Grichek when he's in there, uh, Alejandro Kirk. I mean, it's a deep, deep lineup. And their bullpen has turned it around lately as well with Romano and Simber and guys giving them good outings, but also starting pitching going at least six every given day. And after being after trailing the Yankees at one point by eight games, it looked like it was over. We sit here on September 17th. The season's a couple weeks away, a couple weeks from being, being done. And the Toronto Blue Jays are sitting in the top spot in the American League wildcard. If the season ended today, they would host the Boston Red Sox in a win or go home situation. And it, it's, it's interesting because this team, like I said, 12 and 2 in September, they've gotten hot when they needed to. The Yankees are just staying alive. You know, it was a three-way tie this week until last evening where Yankees are playing the Orioles. They have a 2-1 lead through from the sixth inning on. They have a chance to close the game. The Orioles score on a wild pitch. They end up walking them off in the 10th. And now the Yankees are a half game back of the Boston Red Sox as we head into this weekend. And really, what, what is it about now? It's about pitching and your schedule to me and the blue Jays. You can look at it this way. They got Robbie Ray. Who's a Cy Young winner. He's money pretty much every time he hits the mound. Alec Manoa more times than not has been money. He can have a really bad start. He's a young kid. He's going to, but he's confident. I love that about him. He's got some swagger and he's not afraid to go out there and throw his pitches, throw his stuff. He's a winner. Hinjin Ryu is really become the third or fourth starter with Jose Barrios. But again, he is a guy who's pitched in huge games in World Series. And he's actually started a game seven of a World Series. But, um, you know, so he's like your third or fourth option. Barreo, so they acquired at the deadline, has pitched better of late uh, Tuesday night against Tampa, going uh, seven strong. So they have that going for them. On the opposite side, the Yankees. Garrett Cole is good, but he's been injury prone this season. He's had his ups and downs ever since. Uh, Major League Baseball has kind of said enough with the sticky stuff. You got Jordan Montgomery, who is really good when he wants to be, 
but he's he's bad otherwise. Nestor Cortez has been good for them. Corey Kluber has been injured all year, but he's on the back back nine of his career. So pitching advantage Blue Jays, hitting advantage Blue Jays, and I also think they have the better bullpen of the two. That used to never be the case. The Yankees used to build their team via the bullpen. Are all this Chapman, Chad Green, Zach Britton's out for the season? This team is on their heels. And we head into this weekend. The Cleveland Indians are playing the New York Yankees. Now, the Indians aren't world beaters, but the Blue Jays have the Twins. The Twins have 64 wins. They're 64 and 83. Tonight, it's Hinjin Ryu, who's 13 and 8 on the season against Michael Pineda, the former Yankee pitcher. Fun fact, the last time uh, in 2015, Michael Pineda pitched for the New York Yankees when the Toronto Blue Jays clinched their first uh, division title in close to 20 years. So they've had their good history against Pineda. He's played against them a lot. And I, um, I look, you know, you got Blue Jays, Twins, Indians, Yankees, and then Red Sox, you get the great fortune. They get Baltimore. Now it says every, once uh, every three days, somebody's getting the Baltimore Orioles and you couldn't ask for anything better. They are 47 and 99. This team is pathetic. I'm not going to go too in-depth about Baltimore, but they gave up 27 runs in four innings. That is absurd. And they, they are just a pathetic excuse for a team, and they continue to – the Blue Jays and them were in the 2016 wildcard game, and the Blue Jays were bad for a number of years, but now they're in a playoff position. Baltimore doesn't even have 50 wins yet on the season. They're going to be – they're going to have 100-plus losses for their fourth consecutive year. and. So looking ahead this weekend, the twins are not very good. The Indians are not very good, but, and the Orioles are terrible, but the Yankees have the toughest matchup this weekend. That doesn't mean that the the twins won't get a win against the blue Jays or Baltimore could shock the world, but that's just, that's just facts. Looking at the season, the blue Jays then pivot. They'll play the Rays next week. Um, So they'll have the Rays for another three games. That's not, that's not an easy matchup. Uh, Red Sox will get the Mets. Um, Mets aren't, you know, they're not world beaters either, but uh, they are a team still kind of in the playoff hunt. They might be out of it if the weekend doesn't go well. Yankees have the Texas Rangers. Um, Then we got the Blue Jays playing the Twins again for four in Minnesota. Again, it's a road game, but at the same time, it's um, definitely a, a series where you expect to take three to four. And the best advantage the Blue Jays have is next weekend, 24th to the 26th, the Yankees and Red Sox play each other, three games set in Boston. That could decide, that could very much decide the second wild card spot. Team that wins that series will likely make the playoffs. And to me, the Blue Jays are the lock to make the playoffs. Now, and I, I said at the time after that comeback against Oakland, this could be very much be premature. And I think people are getting way too horny for this. I'll admit it right now because they're going to make the playoffs just based on their schedule and the fact that these two teams are playing each other again. I was wrong. I was wrong. And I don't root for the Blue Jays, but they are fun to watch. Uh, They're one of the funnest teams to watch in baseball right now, for sure. To me, the Padres are still the funnest team to watch because they have Fernando Tatis Jr. the third. uh, And he's, I think he's just the funnest player to watch in all of baseball. But there's three weeks left in, in the, uh, uh, two weeks left, two full weeks left in the season after this weekend. So after those games against each other, 
The Blue Jays, uh, I said they play four against the Twins. Then they play the Yankees for three. It's a huge series there. Red Sox got the Orioles for three. And then the Blue Jays finish off against the Orioles at home. Red Sox are in Washington. And the Yankees have the Rays. So the Yankees by far have the toughest schedule remaining. Because they got the Blue Jays and the Red, and the Red Sox in there. And uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens here. But I, it's going to be a dogfight down the stretch to see who gets in. But I, I think the Blue Jays will make the playoffs and the way it looks now with relative ease because they have seven against the Minnesota Twins. They have three against Baltimore. Yes, they have the Yankees, but they, have the, they just have the easiest schedule remaining. Take care of business. You're going to make the playoffs. That's how they have to look at it. They're in a playoff position now. You win your games that you're supposed to win. You will make the playoffs. And then they have a chance to redeem themselves after the debacle they put up against the Rays last season. So we'll see what happens. But again, great bullpen, starting pitching, bats, that's baseball. And the Red Sox, Chris Sale coming back, he's pitching tonight. He's an X factor. Again, missing. He had Tommy John surgery, but since coming back, he's been very good. They obviously want him to continue to get better. But, you know, I don't love their pitching staff for Boston. I just don't. I, I, I look at it and say they just they're missing something out of that pitching staff that I look at and say eh, I don't have faith in them to go out and win games. Nick Pavetta, he's got a, almost a five ERA. That's not going to cut it. Eduardo Rodriguez is not a guy I trust. I mean, their best pitcher other than Sale, who's barely pitched this season, is Nathan Evaldi. And Avaldi is not exactly uh, an ace of a rotation. He's a guy who's had Tommy John surgery twice. He's sometimes in the bullpen, sometimes a starter. And, you know, whatever happens down the stretch, whoever the Blue Jays play in that Walker game, I would feel pretty confident. I would rather play the Yankees, quite frankly, because I just think the, the Red Sox have more clutch bats. Raphael Devers, he's always top five in RBIs because he's a clutch hitter. Uh, Enrique Hernandez was with the Dodgers for a long time, won a World Series last year. This guy knows how to do it in big games. Uh, Xander Bogarts is a big game player. Uh, so I, I just look at that roster and say they have more experience winning, where the Yankees, you get Robbie Ray out there, Stanton, Gallo, Rizzo, Judge. They're either hitting the ball you know, to, uh, to Niagara or they're striking out. And I would rather have a bunch of bats that just love to strike out. And DJ LeMay is striking out more now than he ever has either. So I, that's the best matchup. If I'm a Blue Jays fan, I want the New York Yankees in that wild card game. Because I'm one, who are they throwing out there? Okay, throw Garrett Cole. I still feel very good. I feel better. I, I, I feel fine with Garrett Cole because he's not the same monster that he was in Houston in 2019. He just isn't. And... Who says that they're going to be able to throw Garrett Cole in the wildcard game? Because you got to remember, the season ends on a Sunday. The wildcard game is on Tuesday or Wednesday. The American League game is normally Wednesday. So that means if Garrett Cole pitches Sunday, he's not pitching Wednesday. He's not, and he pitches Saturday. He's not pitching Wednesday. And if you're battling for that wildcard spot into the final weekend, it's not like you can change your rotation to get guys to pitch certain days. You need to make the playoffs first and foremost and then worry about that game secondary because if you worry about that game before, guess what? You're, you're going to be golfing 
you're on Expedia booking a trip to go golf or get married, whatever you do in the off season. And if it isn't Garrett Cole, it goes, uh, do we go Jordan Montgomery? Uh-huh. Do we go Nestor Cortez? Who are we throwing out here? Are we going Corey Kluber? Where the boot just said, okay, we pitch Robbie Ray Saturday. Let's go with Manoa. That would be my choice. I would go with Manoa over Ryu and over Barreos. I just like the kid swagger. They went with Stroman back in the day. It worked out for them. Stroman pitched big games for this team where they put David Price in the bullpen. I go with Manoa over Ryu. We saw Ryu pitch in game two of the playoffs last year. He was a disaster. He hasn't been that reliable this year. He's been okay. I'd honestly probably go with Barreos at every you, but I would st- I would still go Ray and then Manoa. That would be my my choice. And another thing the Blue Jays will have if they get to the playoffs, which I just said I think they will, is they're gonna have Stripling and Steven Matz in their bullpen who can go innings. So if a Manoa has a tough start when he starts his playoff career, Ross Stripling or Steven Matz, if all, if everything goes well, you can throw them out there three to four innings. They're starting pitchers. And they're not going to be starting pitchers in the postseason, but they're in your bullpen. They can go, they can give you some innings. It's not okay. We need an inning from uh, Steven. Uh, we need an inning from Romano. We need an re- inning from Simber. We need an inning from Trevor Richards. We need an, uh, another inning from Tim Mesa. You can get three from a guy, then you go seven, eight, nine and use your rotation and use your bullpen how you want to. If Manoa gives you three, you get three from Matt's. Then you go boom, 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 seven, eight, nine, and you get your bullpen lined up the way you want to. That's just a few of the advantages that the Toronto Blue Jays will have when they get into the playoffs, which I just said they will. So interesting down the stretch, but um, in baseball, like I said, there's some, there's some races that just aren't interesting. Um, And that that might sound cruel, but it's, it's the way it is. You look at the AL Central. The Chicago White Sox leave the, leave the Cleveland Indians, who's second in the division by 11 games. It's been over for since mid, mid-July. Chicago White Sox have 83 wins. They're a great team. We'll see what they can do in the playoffs. I, I really like their team. Aloy Jimenez, you got Abreu, who's a, who's a big hitter. Tim Anderson at short. I think this team can do some damage. And you got Lance Lynn, Keuchel. Their rotation's better suited than it has been in, in forever for this team to really do some damage. In Dale West, it was... Nip and tuck for a while, but Houston's jumped ahead. They are 86 and 60. Oakland is seven games back. Oakland's really fallen off, and Seattle, for that matter, for the wild card. They're they're out of it now. So Houston's going to cruise to this division type. That's not that interesting. National League East is still interesting-ish. Atlanta holds a three-game lead on the Philadelphia Phillies. Now, to be fair, the Phillies have the easiest remaining schedule in all of baseball, but um new york trails by five and a half they're really out of it uh so that's sort of interesting if the phillies can keep winning the brewers if if atlanta can atlanta does have a tough schedule down the stretch we'll talk about this weekend in the national league central i mentioned the snooze fest of all snooze fest the milwaukee brewers have a 12 and a half game lead on the st louis cardinals and a 13 and a half game lead on the cincinnati reds snooze Milwaukee's cruising to the playoffs. The rest of these games are just a formality. You just don't want guys to get hurt. You can line up your rotation and you hope you can finish with the best record in the uh, National League, but that's unlikely. 
with the two teams in the National League West. Now, we go to the National League West, where there are currently two teams who have qualified for the postseason. They are both out of the National League West. That would be the San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Dodgers. This has been a dogfight all season, where until Wednesday, the San Francisco Giants had won 12 consecutive games. Logan Webb, Dominic Leone being a, a fringe starter, Kevin Gosman, uh, Yastrzemski, these starters, uh, Descafani, have been unbelievable for San Francisco. They have 95 wins, most in baseball. Now you look at this. The Los Angeles Dodgers, the reigning World Series champions, have 94 victories. That is six more than Milwaukee. That is 18 more than the Atlanta Braves. Yet they sit second in their division. They are the first wildcard team in the National League. Meaning, if the season ended today, they would play in a one-game wildcard against the St. Louis Cardinals, who they have 18 more wins in. Now, that probably doesn't sound right. They have a 17-game lead for the wildcard spot over St. Louis. But that's just how it works. Two fantastic teams in one division. But and I mentioned interest, and it is, it is interesting down the stretch here because who is going to finish first? The Los Angeles Dodgers have won 10 straight games. San Francisco Giants had won 12. They've lost two in a row back-to-back to the Padres who continue to fight and try to scrape their way into the playoffs. They're a half game back of the St. Louis Cardinals. And looking ahead to schedules, this weekend, the Dodgers head to Cincinnati. Big series. Cincinnati is one game out of a playoff spot. They need these wins. Luis Castillo has had a really bad season, 7-15, 424 ARA. But he's going up against tonight Walker Bueller, who, in my opinion, should be the Cy Young winner in the National League, period. Him or Scherzer, both on the same squad. But Cincinnati needs to take two out of three this weekend. Desperation times for them. So, tough series, but Dodgers are definitely favored. And then Atlanta. We mentioned needs the wins, but San Francisco also needs the wins so they can finish first and avoid that wildcard game. Are playing the Atlanta Braves at home, but Atlanta is a good team. They were in the National League Championship game last year. They've hung around all year without Ronald Acuna Jr., without Marcelo Zuna, two of their starting outfielders. They are first in the National League East. And so you got Giants. And Dodgers. So you got Dodgers, Reds, Giants, Braves this weekend. Looking ahead, the uh, I think they both have a off day Monday. So then we go to Tuesday to start the next series. The Giants head to San Francisco, head to San Diego. They split that series last week. So that's no gimme. Dodgers head to Colorado for three. I like I like playing Colorado a hell of a lot more than I like playing the um, than playing San than playing San Diego. So that's advantage Dodgers. Then we look at the Dodgers then get the Diamondbacks, Giants, Rockies. So that's a wash. But I like you know one of the teams does not have to play San Diego. Then San Diego does play the Dodgers, Diamondbacks, Giants. So again, it's a it's 
eerily similar these two their schedules because they get to play the same teams and a weak opponent. Now they end San Diego in San Francisco, Milwaukee in Los Angeles. Now this is interesting because Milwaukee is going to be playing for nothing. Like I said, they're not catching either team. They're just fighting for the second best record. So a lot of starters could be resting there. Padres could still be in it depending on how they play against the Dodgers and the, and the giants down the stretcher, you know, their next couple series will determine that weekend, but looking ahead and being a predictor and San Francisco, I, San Francisco, I have so much respect for, and I honestly, they deserve to be like, what they've done this year is incredible, which is veterans like Brandon belt and Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria and um, Johnny Cueto this team has just been full of guys who just continue to fight and to have 95 victories right now is incredible, but I worry about them in a one game playoff more than I do the Dodgers because the Dodgers in a one game playoff, they can throw Bueller, Kershaw or Scherzer. And Kershaw is a multiple multiple time Cy Young winner as is Max Scherzer and I think Walker Bueller will win the Cy Young Award this year, especially if you see him pitch a dominant game tonight. That'll do a lot for him. But so three studs that you can throw out there, or you know Julio Arias, who is also fantastic and was a part of that World Series team last year. So and the Dodge, uh, the Giants, who are you throwing? Gosman again, he's been great, but you don't have the same confidence level. And when the, although when the Giants do get to the playoffs, they are they just have that aura about them. But that's it's interesting to me who is going to to come out of that, and though for for me that's the two most interesting things to watch. Also this weekend I'm just looking at the Major League Baseball schedule. Padres play the Cardinals. Now this is a huge series because as of right now, the St. Louis Cardinals have a half game lead on the San Diego Padres for that second wild card spot. So if St. Louis wins all three, you have a three and a half game lead after this weekend, that's a pretty good cushion. Then the San Diego gets the Giants two more times and the Dodgers to finish off the season. That is a tough way to end the season. So uh, tough for them, but a huge series for St. Louis and San Diego. Cincinnati, like I said, they got, um, they got the Dodgers this weekend. And looking at the Phillies, you know, Braves are playing – the Giants, a really tough team. So Phillies have the Mets this weekend. The Mets aren't a walkover, but again, the Mets aren't exactly scary. Then the Phillies get Baltimore. You, you want Baltimore. I've been saying this all day. You, you pray to get Baltimore at this time, of, uh, this time of the season. Then the Phillies get the Pirates. That's basically Baltimore 2.0, another team that's just waiting to get dumped. Um, then the Phillies get, um, let's see here. The Braves, that's the biggest biggest series of the year. They got a three-game series in Atlanta. I think the way the season's going, they play really good down the stretch. You fare well in that series. You're, you're winning, and they finish in Miami. So they have one tough series left. To me, Bryce Harper and those guys, put up or shut up. Because this is your season. So this is when baseball gets, it, gets interesting. I'm glad that there's still some races that are compelling. Because normally it's... I love the wild card game in baseball. I think it's the most exciting, one of the most exciting events of the season. It's like the NFL is all win or go home. Uh, you know, 
and that, that's what makes it so compelling in the playoffs. But these wildcard games are crazy because you're seeing so many pitching changes, uh, you know, guys coming up big in huge moments, and they can be career-defining, and we'll see. But National League East, National League West, NL wildcard, AL wildcard, those are the things to watch over the next couple of weeks. And, you know, I'll be glued to it uh, throughout the end of the season. We'll get into it as, as we get close to the playoffs. Blue Jays, Twins tonight, um, Yankees, Indians, and then we got Red Sox, Orioles in the American League. So those are the three big series. If you're a Jays fan, that you'll be you'll be watching and scoreboard watching if you while you're watching the Blue Jays play the Twins later this evening. Um, college football this weekend tonight's actually an interesting game. You got UCF against Louisville, but there are some great games this weekend. Uh, one that catch my uh, Cincinnati playing against Indiana. Cincinnati's a team that's ranked eighth in the country. Uh, they're a team that I think can push for the college football playoff with another strong season. They got Desmond Ritter, who will likely be a first round pick at quarterback. So he's interesting. See how Michael Penix Jr. can rebound after a tough start to his season for the Hoosiers. Uh, for the Hoosiers, sorry. Uh, University of Miami playing Michigan State. Michigan State's two and zero in the season. Uh, Miami has is one and one, but they've, they struggled last week, barely escaping with a victory. So we'll see what can happen there. Uh, Texas A&M, New Mexico could get interesting. Uh, you got the 430 game of Alabama and Florida, all SEC showdown where Alabama, you know, Nick Saban was pissed off last week because they played Mercer. They were 54 and a half point favorite in that game, but Mercer covered and he was rattled, rattled. Um, but for this game, for me, Florida, I don't give them much of a chance. And I'll tell you why. Not just because, you know, Alabama's Alabama, but their quarterback, Emory Jones, should not be playing. It should be Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson has a big arm. He can throw balls down the field. Emory Jones is a fine quarterback but he's not the best one on the roster. And I'm shocked why he's playing so often. Florida, this is your seat. This is your season. You beat Alabama. You run the table. You are in the college football playoff. Guaranteed. You win tomorrow. You are ranked number one in the nation, in my opinion. You beat Alabama. To me, Anthony Richardson should be the starting quarterback. This is a must-watch game of the day for me. And it could be over quick. But I want to see how that Alabama offense reacts. They were slow against Mercer. You don't want to be slow against Florida if they decide. Maybe it's they say it's going to be Emory Jones until until uh, kickoff tomorrow, which I respect the cat in most play. But we'll see. Purdue Notre Dame could be an interesting game. Purdue's two and zero. Notre Dame has won both their games so far this season, but overtime against Florida State, and they barely escaped against Toledo. So. Um, they're, they're always uh, potentially in trouble. Um, and then the nightcap, we have the game between Penn State and uh, Auburn. And Auburn has crushed their first two opponents, but they've played a very weak schedule. Penn State has already beaten a ranked team in Wisconsin. They are ranked 10th. So tomorrow night, them beating Auburn would be a big win. Um, it, it would be a big win. But, you know, for Auburn in an SEC school, playing a Big Ten school, I like seeing the diversity. We're seeing a lot of, you know, we saw Oregon at Pac-12 team beat Ohio State last week 
you know, a big, a big 10 school. I like seeing these different schools meet up and play each other. And then the nightcap, Arizona state, BYU, two ranked teams in the PAC 12 will do battle and UCLA returns to the field when they get Fresno state who, um, who've been very good as well. So it's going to be a great weekend of sports. Uh, hockey, you know, Vander Kane came out talking about his gambling problems, but we're, uh, we're going to have training camps open next week. So we'll dive into all that next week, the big headlines heading into the NHL season um, and all that. But um, we'll see what happens tonight. We got some football tonight. We got uh, a good baseball sked. So lots happening this weekend. Enjoy week two of the NFL. Enjoy the college football, the baseball, and, and everything that you plan on doing on this fine weekend. But as always, thanks, thanks for the support. Have a great day. Stay healthy. And uh, we'll talk soon.